Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. This week, Dr. Beach brings us a timely message during this 4th of July holiday. It is entitled, Prayer for America. To listen to the news media and to the politicians, you would think the United States is a terrible place to live. You would think, why would anyone want to come and live in the United States? You'd think that we're the meanest, war-loving, and unsophisticated country on the planet. The reality is that you and I are a privileged people. We live in a country which has been blessed beyond any known civilization the world has known. You and I, as citizens of this country, can pretty much do as we please. To earn a living, to live where we want, to marry who we want, to raise and educate our children the way we want. And if we want, we can leave. There are no fences or walls keeping us here. For we're a republic, a democratic republic. That is a country whose citizens are ruled by the laws which were created by the elected representatives of the people. We in America have the best standard of living in the world. We have the most powerful military in the world. We have the best technology in the world. We have the most productive economy in the world. We have had it good. Most of us surf the Internet. We send men and women into space. We have freedom to study and to learn anything we want. We can worship the way we desire without worrying about being arrested or killed. What an awesome country we live in. But something has been changing. The freedoms and the blessings we enjoy are turning into curses. Our obsession with materialism has put most Americans into the bondage of debt. Our obsession with feeling happy has bound too many of us to prescription drugs or alcohol or illegal drugs. Our obsession with the sensual pleasures of the flesh has entrapped too many of us to pornography and illicit sex. What too many of us don't realize is that our liberty must be used for godly purposes or we lose our freedom. We become enslaved to the passions that we have and they lead us to ruin. We may not lose our freedom through a foreign power at first, but we may lose our freedom through our enslavement to our passions. Psalm 33:12 says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When God is no longer Lord of our nation, can we expect his blessings to continue? Can we expect him to withhold his judgment when we violate his moral principles? We want to hang on to the truth that God is love, and he is. But we ignore the truth that God is also just. Of all the great empires in the world, how many of them have lasted? What makes us think our fate will be any different? Our self-deluded sense of arrogance and invincibility, perhaps. The founders of our nation knew this. They founded a country which merged the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. It was an experiment in democracy. No one religion would be forced on anyone, but the principles or the ethos of biblical Christianity would undergird, would support, would provide the foundation of civil society. But in today's world, you would not know this unless you do your homework. 
On two fronts, our history is being rewritten to eliminate references to God's activity in the formation of our country. We see this in the Christian church, which as you and I are well aware of at Holy Cross. Those in leadership positions of various denominations and various forms of Christianity deny the biblical faith and the supernatural power of God and are replacing them with man-made ideals. We also see this in our educational system. As textbooks are written and classes are taught without any references to God who formed this nation. For you see, our country began as a nation under God. We began as a mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christopher Columbus, in his petition to the king of Spain for permission to come and explore this place, wrote, The purpose of the voyage was to further the cause of Jesus Christ. The pilgrims, when they arrived on the Mayflower at Plymouth Rock in 1620, sought to establish a government, quote, based on the Bible, unquote. The New England Charter, signed by King James I, says that the purpose of the colony was to advance the enlargement of Christian religion to the glory of God Almighty. The Rhode Island Charter, 1683, speaking of their commitment, which I think is a quite a witness to us as well, challenge to us, says, We submit our persons, lives, and estates unto our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to all those perfect and most absolute laws of His given in His holy word. This country began as a mission field to the glory of God course we celebrate on this day july 4th the signing of the declaration of independence and in that declaration and in the constitution which was to follow was an assumption about our culture and our life together that assumption was that we would be a christian people a people with the understanding of the law of god as found in the bible now i know that sounds heretical to many of you But listen to what some of our early leaders said. George Washington, our first president, said, Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle." John Adams, our second president and very involved in the framing of the Constitution, speaking to a group of military leaders, he said this, We have no government armed with the power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and true religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And James Madison, the fourth president, who is known as the father of the Constitution, he made the following statement. We have staked the whole of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each of us and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. This has been the ethos, the mindset of our country since its existence. President Calvin Coolidge said this, The foundation of our society and government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible 
that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Can you hear what these men are saying? When the cultural norm among the people is the Ten Commandments and the teachings of the Bible, then our form of government will work. When it is not, it will not work. There's a cultural trust which was put in place. It creates safeguards which keeps us civil. There's a common faith in our neighbor that they're not going to kill us, that they're not going to steal our possessions, that they are fellow sojourners on this road of civil society. That when they place their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, they will tell the truth. But something has happened in our country. We are no longer a culture which abides by the teachings of the Bible and of Jesus. Sure, some do, but not the culture. We are no longer a culture which abides by the teaching of the Ten Commandments. Most people can't even name three of the commandments. Little by little, those who desire to rid the United States of God or of the teachings of Christianity have won the day. William Holmes McGuffey was the author of the McGuffey Reader, which was used in our public schools for over a hundred years. Some of you probably remember using them. President Lincoln called McGuffey the schoolmaster of the nation. Well, in 1963, his McGuffey readers stopped being used in the public schools. And about that same time, prayer was eliminated from the public schools by the Supreme Court. Also in 1963, the Supreme Court ruled that Bible reading in the public school system was unconstitutional. They offered this justification. Quote, If portions of the New Testament were read without explanation... They could and have been psychologically harmful to children, unquote. Though the Bible was quoted 94% of the time by those who wrote our Constitution and shaped our nation, its system of education, of justice, and of government, the Bible was considered unconstitutional to be read anymore in the public schools. By the way, which was the first textbook that was used for the public schools? It was the Bible. In 1965, the court denied as, quote, unconstitutional the rights of a student in the public school cafeteria to bow his head and pray audibly over his food. In 1980, in Stone v. Graham, the, the courts outlawed the posting of the Ten Commandments in our public schools. The Supreme Court said this, If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments were to have any effect at all, it would be to induce school children to read them. And if they read them, meditated on them, and perhaps venerated and observed them, this is not a permissible objective. And of course, in recent years, most are aware of the court's rulings to remove the Ten Commandments from courthouses all over our country. Peace by peace, the influence of God is being rooted out of our cultural psyche. And what this is doing is creating a cultural chaos, a susceptibility to other forms of government. We now have laws being made which are immoral. We have court decisions which are gutting the freedoms we so cherish. And little by little, the Christian and biblical anchors of our common life are being uprooted. 
Listen again to James Madison, the father of our Constitution. We have staked the whole future of our new nation, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. George Washington warned us in his farewell address when he said this, It is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, our religion and morality are indispensable supporters. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Now I could go on and on as our history is consumed with the activity of God. Is it no wonder that our country, as great as it is and as great as it has been, is going through a morass of difficulties? Can we expect God to bless that which offends Him? Why should His presence dwell with us when we tell Him we don't want Him around? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm calling on you to pray for the United States of America. I feel it prudent in this day and this time to ask you to make it a priority in your life and fellowship groups to pray for our country, to carve out a time each day in which you pray for our leaders, for our leaders in Congress, for our president, for our governors, for our representatives, for the members of the Supreme Court, to make it a priority to pray for the moral issues of our day. Without spiritual revival, we will not last as a nation. Without the people of God standing up before our Lord and pleading with Him to save this country, it will not happen. Without a return to the biblical principles we were founded on, our country will continue into a black hole of government bureaucracy, the dissolution of personal freedoms, the limitation of economic prosperity and blessing, and the destruction of all that we hold dear and precious. Will destruction come from outside the country or from within? It doesn't matter. It will come. You violate the laws of God and they are irreversible without supernatural intervention. Spiritual laws are like physical laws. They always work unless you have intervention. If I was to stand on top of a bridge and jump, I would fall because of the law of gravity. And I would hit the ground unless I have some kind of intervention like a rope that's, that's tied to my feet, a bungee cord. That would then allow me to spring back up. An airplane taking off the, of the, of the ground violates the laws of gravity because of the pressure that it places because of its speed. Spiritual laws are like physical laws. And if you and I violate the law of God, they are irreversible without His intervention. So I'm calling on you to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was writing the Christians of his day. And he said this, chapter 2, verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings 
and all those who are in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He says, pray. But pray especially for your kings, for those who are in authority. And that's what I'm asking you people to do. To join me as the people of God to pray on behalf of our country. The Lord has asked us to pray for our governmental leaders, but how many of us really have? Most of you have probably prayed for the president, but have you prayed for your congressional representatives, for the members of the Supreme Court? Do you even know their names? What about our state representatives, our governors, our judges? Have you prayed for them? Probably not, because most of us don't even know their names or we don't think it's an import- that important. What should you pray for them? You ask God to bless them. But more than just God bless the president. You ask God to bless the president with his presence. With his wisdom, James 1.5. With his guidance, Proverbs 3.5 and 6. With his morality, the Ten Commandments. You pray God's blessing upon them. You ask God to provide for their needs. And if they've not been born again, you ask God to save them. Friends, I'm not asking you to write letters, make phone calls, or get involved in political campaigns, all of which are important. I'm asking you to pray, to make it a priority in your life, and to plead with God to save and to act on behalf of our country. I believe this is the most important weapon that you can use. Because when you pray, it invokes the power of God and the presence of the Lord into the situation. And if we are praying, then God will show us what we're to do. Again and again, when I pray about situations, it's amazing to me how God will then reveal to me what my part is to be in that, in that situation. Elections, as important as they are, will not save our country. Legislation, as important as it is, will not save our country. Supreme Court decisions, as important as they are, will not save our country. Only the intervention of God himself will change the direction our country's headed. He's done it before, and he can do it again. He did it in the 17th century, and he did it in the 18th century, and he did it in the 19th century. He can do it again. So people of God, I'm asking you, as God's representatives here on this planet, to start praying. To start praying now. Don't wait for the church to organize it. Pray where you are. Pray in your families. Pray in your Bible studies or in your Sunday school classes. Pray in your neighborhood groups. It starts with you. It starts with me, the people of God. There's a story about Benjamin Franklin who late in life was part of the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Things were stuck and they were not making any progress and Ben Franklin rises and he calls on his fellow delegates to begin to pray together. Now what's very interesting about this to me is that most people report that Ben Franklin was a deist, not a Christian. Now deism held that God set the universe in motion and kind of just sort of left us here to run on our own, that that God didn't get involved in the everyday affairs of humans. 
Furthermore, deism denounced any authority of the scriptures for daily life or for national life. Well, Ben Franklin, late in life, doesn't fit either one of these descriptions in his petition before the convention for prayer. Maybe he was converted during the American Revolution. I don't know, but he he definitely changed his belief. Listen to his words. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of of the supernatural intending providence in our favor. Have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. Well, he makes some other comments, and then he makes a motion. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning. Well, the motion was seconded. It was passed. And they begin to say daily prayers each morning of the Constitutional Convention. And it was at this point that the convention began to make progress in our Constitution and then later our Bill of Rights were adopted. If our nation was built on prayer and the dependence of God. What makes us think that we can survive without His hand involved in the affairs of this government? People of God, it's time for us to pray. People of God, it's time for us to take seriously our responsibility for our country. To be people of God, come before Him, pleading and interceding on behalf of our nation. I implore you for your future, for the sake of your children's future, for your grandchildren's future, to pray for the United States of America. Amen. Uh, This is Foley Beach, and I want to thank you for listening to a word from the Lord. We're grateful that you're listening to our program. As most of you know, our country's facing some tremendous challenges and difficulties, and we really need our Lord to intervene. My friend and colleague in ministry, Dr. Michael Youssef, who's the rector of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia, has called on Christians all over America to covenant with God to begin to pray daily for our country from July 4th through November the 2nd. July 4th is Independence Day, and November 2nd is Election Day. We all know that elections are not going to solve our country's problems. We need a move of the Holy Spirit upon this country. And so I want to invite you to join us to begin to pray for our country from July the 4th through November the 2nd. Uh, For more information, you can go to our website at www.awordfromthelord.org. Again, thank you for listening, and God bless America.
If you would like to order a copy of today's message, please write to us. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Again, the mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. If you would like to order online, you can visit our website, awordfromthelord.org. If you would like to contact Foley, if you have any comments or questions, his email address is foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. Again, his email address is foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. This broadcast of A Word from the Lord can only be possible through God's grace and your prayers and support. If you would like to support A Word from the Lord, you may reach us at awordfromthelord.org. Visit our website, awordfromthelord.org. We thank you in advance for however God lays on your heart to partner with A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach, I am Jeremy Coleman, and we'd like to thank you for joining us for this radio broadcast. And until next time, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.